Justin Trudeau bows to a foreign despot. He turns a blind eye to anti-gay persecution, says he admires fascist China, and he has no idea how to get our economy moving again. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is a special live edition of The Candace Malcolm Show. Happy Family Day to everyone. I think that it's Family Day for most of the country in Canada. It's President's Day down in the US. So I think it's, pres it's, it's, it's Family Day in British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, New Brunswick, and Saskatchewan. So basically, most of the country is off today, so we decided to do a special live edition. Justin Trudeau is finally back in Canada, so I guess that's good news. His, his embarrassing little world tour trying to get Canada a seat on the United Nations Security Council has finally come to an end, and thank goodness it couldn't have happened sooner because he was embarrassing the entire country time and time again. So we're gonna come, we're gonna go through some of that, and we're gonna do a update on all of the blockades, all of the fake news that's coming out of them because the media has really done a disservice to Canadians in reporting on these blockades. They've completely twisted who it is who is actually protesting because this is not a First Nations protest. This is not an Aboriginal protest. If you pay attention only to the mainstream media, you may believe that this is solely an Indigenous protest. It isn't, that's not true. Um, this is a protest of the far left, the far environmentalist left. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the conservative leadership race as well. So let's let's get right to it. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're watching, let me know where you're watching from. Let me know where you are tuning in from. I'm, I'm usually in Toronto, but I'm actually down in California right now. So this show is being recorded from San Mateo, California, which is where I'm staying with my family. And my husband took our son out for a walk. So they are out of the house, leaving me some quiet uh, to record this podcast. So thank you to them. Let's get right to it. So this was making the rounds over the weekend. And wow, is it ever embarrassing. Justin Trudeau bowing to a despot, the worst of the worst, an Islamist dictatorship, a fascist who has so much blood on his hands. Now, if you are an Iranian uh, person living in Canada, if you're part of the diaspora, if you've left Iran, fled Iran, and gone to Canada, seeing the prime minister bowing to the Iranian foreign minister bowing to Javad Sarif is just like a punch in the gut. I mean, this guy has been with the regime since it became, since the revolution, since the Islamic revolution back in 1979. He's sort of the academic behind it all, the brains behind it. Like so many sort of, you know, fascist academics uh, in, in dictatorships, he was educated in the United States, but he is sort of the brains behind the Islamic Republic. And so here's Justin Trudeau sort of doing a, surprise pop-in video um, meeting with, so, so it was a meeting between the foreign ministers of Canada and Iran, and then for whatever reason, Justin Trudeau decided to come in. Now, the, the reason that PMO said that he was there was to sort of have a firm conversation with Iran about getting the black box from that uh, flight that was shot down by Iran, which remember they lied about for several days before finally admitting, you know, the one that killed 55 Canadian citizens, another 30 permanent residents. We know that most of the people on that plane were heading to Canada. So what is Justin Trudeau? He does this sort of like jovial, subservient bow to this disgusting human being. And let me tell you, Persians, it's not even part of their culture to bow, okay? Like like Japanese people bow, uh, Arab people bow, Persian people don't really bow, they shake their head maybe when they're meeting them, but you can see that the, 
that the foreign minister of Iran is not bowing to Trudeau, but Trudeau does a subservient bow. Wow, it's just so embarrassing. Justin Trudeau should not have been meeting with this individual in the first place. Canada doesn't even have diplomatic relations with Iran. We don't allow their diplomats into Canada. We don't have an embassy in Iran. We don't have any formal channels of communication with this regime. In fact, we consider it a terrorist regime. They're the largest state sponsor of terrorism. So why is our prime minister meeting with a foreign minister who we don't even have any diplomatic ties to, who we consider to be a terrorist, and not only that, but a sort of friendly, jovial handshake and a bow? Wow, Justin Trudeau looks terrible, incredibly embarrassing for Canada, and especially, again, for the fact that, there, that it was just a month ago that this regime shot down a commercial airliner, murdering 176 people. That that's that's the person that Justin Trudeau is bowing at. What a bad look. What a bad look. So first there was that. Then we had this exclusive. Well, this is based on a tweet from so Justin Trudeau was off in Africa. He's trying to convince all of these African dictators to vote for Canada again to have the seat on the United Nations. Like at a, at a time like this in Canada, where our country is just in total chaos, our economy is not working. You know, everything is grinding to a halt. And Justin Trudeau is off gallivanting around the world, trying to convince African dictatorships to vote for us, the United Nations Security Council. Like, why? <laughs> I just don't understand why. What is Justin Trudeau going to accomplish on the United Nations Security Council? He can't even manage to keep Canada together as a country. Under Justin Trudeau, we have a, re a resurgence of the bloc in Quebec, the emergence of a huge Western separatist. Uh, party in Alberta. And, you know, we have railway service that's not even functioning. R railway service in Canada has been shut down. And Justin Trudeau is off trying to convince the rest of the world that we somehow are this model of, you know, diplomacy and conflict re resolution. Like, we can't even get stuff done in our own country. So one of one of the stops for Justin Trudeau was meeting with the president of Senegal. I, I tweeted this out because it was just so pathetic. Justin Trudeau met with him. The president of Senegal tweeted out that he was so excited that Canada was supporting the economy in Senegal, including the oil and gas industry, which is it's incredibly ironic. Like Canada supports the the oil and gas industry in Senegal and not in our own country. Like, like what in what world does that make any sense that we're supporting Senegal's oil and gas. Well, you know, there's another issue here, which is that Senegal has incredibly harsh penalties against being gay, against being gay. And the president of Senegal was asked about it, and he sort of just shrugged it off. He said, you know, it's not about homophobia. It's basically just that our cultural values um, say that, 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 that you shouldn't be gay. And so because of that, they have a horrible record when it comes to persecution of gays. According to Human Rights Watch, 39 people were arrested for just for the for the sin of being gay. And Justin Trudeau, who's supposed to be this huge ally and this huge supporter of that cause, um, you know, he doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't even mention it. And he he goes ahead and has that bilateral because he doesn't care about principles. He doesn't care about you know his beliefs. He, he doesn't care about anything. He just wants the sort of glory of being on the United Nations Security Council again. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. And, you know, I think things kind of things just keep going poorly for Trudeau on the world stage. He can't help but sort of embarrass himself. Um, and I think this was probably one of the worst ones. This is Stephen Chase, who is a reporter with the Globe and Mail. And he says that Trudeau's government had high praise for Xi. So Beijing's account of the Champagne Wang meeting February 14th in Munich says that Champagne, who's the Canadian foreign minister, said that the Canadian side admires the outstanding leadership of President Xi Jinping and the Chinese government in their fight against the epidemic. And they're talking about the coronavirus.
So, so, so Canada admires the outstanding leadership of China when it comes to the coronavirus. Okay, I'm not going to play it on the show. I actually found it very disturbing. But there's video. Just take a minute and Google Google China's response to coronavirus. And what you'll see are dozens of videos, just some of the most disturbing videos that you can find on the Internet of basically like, you know, police, police service going and, and taking people, ripping them from their homes, ripping mothers from their children, taking people who are suspected of possibly having the coronavirus, pulling them out and just taking them away. Because that's what fascist countries do. If you are suspected of being sick, who knows if these people are actually sick or if they're just accused of being sick or if they have some other uh, type of you know flu or something like that. But the police in China are rounding people up, taking them and, and, and just hauling them away from their family. And that, that's the kind of thing that Canada supposedly admires. We admire that. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's just so horrible. Again, I'm not even going to play it on the show, but I've seen some of the clips and it is very, very disturbing. There's one clip in particular of two police taking two mothers and you can hear children crying in the background. Like they've literally gone into their home, ripped these women out that you can see one of the husbands tr sort of trying to stop it, like saying like, no, no, don't take these mothers away from their children or whatever's going on. And these sort of police with their um, whole like, you know, gas mask situation going on, just ripping these families away. And, and that's supposedly what Canada admires. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, this is a tough situation for China. We appreciate their honesty. We appreciate their openness, which I don't even think is true. I think that China has been lying about the coronavirus from day one. And as things get worse and worse, it's, you know, this is, this is on the Chinese government. And, and for Canada to say that once again, remember Justin Trudeau said that he had once, once said that he admires China's basic dictatorship because they could turn their economy around on a dime. Um, again, you know, this is this is what Justin Trudeau says in in you know when he lets his guard down when he's uh, telling the truth accidentally that 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 Canada admires China outstanding leadership. Give me a break. Give me a break. China's a fascist dictatorship. It's disgusting what they do. They have absolutely no respect for individual liberty or freedom, personal freedoms. They don't care about individuals. And yet here's Canada sucking up to China on the world stage. So. Okay, let's move on. Let's let's talk about these protests. Let's talk about these blockades that are really just grinding Canada to a halt. I mean, sometimes Canada really feels like a failed state. It feels like a country that just cannot get anything done. We can't build critical infrastructure. We can't even have a functioning railway system because we allow we allow a group of far left fringe environmentalists to use the heckler's veto and take the entire country hostage. It, it, it happens time and time again, and it's really disappointing. It's really disappointing that we don't have the leadership required to just say, you know what, enough is enough. It's time to, if, if you're blocking a railway, if you're blocking, you know, trains from being able to deliver products to Canadian, being able to allow people to get their products to market, some, someone on Periscope is saying Canada is the number one place to live. Look, I agree. I think Canada is a wonderful, wonderful country. It is a model in so many ways. But when it comes to the way that we treat protesters, the way we treat a fringe, far-left group of protesters. We give them a national stage. We allow them to throw basically a collective temper tantrum and to grind our economy to a halt. Okay, enough is enough. You've made your point. You don't like oil and gas. Well, guess what? Too bad. This is the democratic process, okay? This pipeline has been approved by every level of government. It has been approved by Justin Trudeau's government, which is, as we know, incredibly anti-pipeline, anti-energy, anti-oil and gas. They've already approved it. The British Columbia government, the far-left NDP government, has approved this has approved this pipeline. And the local governments, the elected band leaders, 21st Nations elected band leaders, 
have approved this pipeline, including, and this is something that doesn't often get uh, get published, doesn't often get the, the press that it should, the, the even the Wetastuan First Nations, the, the people that started the initial protests, the hereditary chiefs of that nation, the elected leaders of that nation have, have approved this pipeline. So everyone's approved of it. And yet a group of people don't like energy. They don't like oil and gas. We know that their, their goal is not to create a greener economy. No, their goal is to shut down the economy. And they have been allowed to get away with this all. And I think that the, probably the worst part is how the media misrepresent them and, and talk about it like it's a First Nations protest. Okay, this isn't First Nations people protesting. We know this. We know this. I've gone through this several times in the podcast that there are countless interviews and videos of people in the First Nations community in this specific community that are supportive of the pipeline. They want the jobs. They want the opportunity. They want, you know, responsibly developed by the way, this is this isn't even this isn't even oil. This is liquefied natural gas. This is one of the greenest forms of energy that you can have, and it will bring tremendous opportunity, uh, especially for you know young men. And and that's that's something that gets overlooked. So if if you're watching the media and they represent this as a First Nations um, protest, then you know that you're not getting the full story. The full story is that this and, and even the Trudeau government. So Justin Trudeau canceled his trip to Barbados. He, I think, finally realized how big of a deal these blockades are. He was sort of ignoring them at first and just hoping that, like, his lower ministers could deal with it. Well, the problem's not going away. And yes, we need the prime minister. This is why we have a prime minister. Okay, so he came back and he had a meeting today. And what do we get from the meeting? Kind of just more of the same. Like, the message from Justin Trudeau is... Ottawa wants a quick, peaceful resolution to the pipeline protests. Okay, genius. What, what are you going to do about it? What are you actually going to do? Justin Trudeau, this is a CP report that came out just today. They just had this meeting earlier today. So Canadian Press reporting. Justin Trudeau says his government is committed to finding a quick and peaceful resolution to the anti-pipeline blockades that have shut down swaths of the country's train system and temporarily blocked bridges and highways. Comments came Monday as Trudeau emerged from a closed-door meeting with Cabinet in Ottawa, where the Liberal government has been under growing pressure to end the blockades. Prime Minister, who said he has spoken to a number of premiers and Indigenous leaders, did not offer any specifics on how the government would plan to deal with this crisis. Surprise, surprise. And quote, I understand how worrisome this is for many Canadians and difficult for many people and families across the country. Trudeau said in the steps of the building housing, the Prime Minister's office, we're going to continue to focus on resolving this issue quickly and peacefully, and that's what's going on. Okay, so nothing, basically nothing, just more of the same, more, you know, empty rhetoric. But, you know, the, the, the real issue is that this is a group of fringe far-left environmentalists who have co-opted this cause. They, they sort of claim to be representing Indigenous communities and First Nations, even though we know that so many people from not only the Wasuetan Nation, but also broader First Nations across the country support oil and gas, support the pipeline. So as reported, this is coming exclusively from TNC.news. So first we learned that two far-left extremist websites are offering detailed instructions and maps on how to sabotage rail lines and other critical Canadian infrastructure. So the websites in question are North Shore and Warrior Up, and they both instruct readers to disrupt Canada's rail, pipeline, road, and communication networks. In one North Shore blog post, the author calls for people to stand in solidarity with the Wasuetan protesters by attacking railroads. North Shore describes itself as a place for far-left extremists from southern Ontario to gather and organize. Rail traffic creates excellent opportunity for state and economic disruption. Infrastructure is so sprawling it's relatively indefensible. 
That's what the website says. Historically, even short disruptions by actions and rail strikes have had large economic impacts. After just two days of recent rail strikes, the federal government started drafting emergency legislation out of concern for the economy in 2012, a nine-day rail disruption dropped the local GDP by 7%. Okay, so this website is actually celebrating a fall in the GDP. I mean, these people are radical communists. These people are radical far-left communists. They're environmentalists. They're so fringe. They're celebrating the fact that people are losing jobs. Um, they're, they're celebrating the fact that, that people's livelihoods are being threatened, not just people who work in oil and gas who might work on these specific projects, but the sort of you know, the, the flow of the economy, the, the, the one-offs, you know, imagine if you're a farmer right now and you can't get your grain to market, or, you know, if you have to commute to work, if you can't be with your family this weekend because you were unable to get a train. I mean, the entire, just to think about all the ramifications, the um, paramedics in British Columbia put out a statement saying that people's lives are at risk because, you know, road blockades threaten ambulances and fire trucks and the ability of just, you know, people to respond in emergency situations. And, and so that, so you, you think about all of the ramifications of these blockades, and then you find these fringe left websites that are instructing people to do it more and celebrating the fall of our economy and, and GDP. And then you have the prime minister again, treating this like it's environmental protests. So he's, he's dispatched his environmental, his, sorry, his indigenous affairs minister, Mark Miller, to sort of be the spokesperson. Mark Miller said this, he said, quote, we have the experience of Oka 30 years ago where people went in with the police and someone died. My question to Canadians, my question to myself and fellow politicians, uh, regardless of party, is whether we do the same thing, the same way and repeat errors of the past, or do we take the time to do it right? So again, he's comparing this to the Oka crisis 30 years ago, but how is this the same? I mean, this is a group of fringe far left environmentalists. And as my colleagues at Sri North have pointed out, we know that they're fringe far left environmentalists. They're not all First Nations people because we can see videos, we can see images of the people, and we can tell that they're not indigenous people. Most of the people in the protest, a lot of the people that protest are not indigenous. We've also seen American license plates. So you have fringe far left Americans coming to be part of the, you know, the, be part of the crisis, be part of the blockades and be part of the action. Again, this isn't in solidarity with indigenous people. This is someone co-opting the entire movement pretending that they're indigenous because they get more credibility and more sympathy from politicians and the media. But really, this is just fringe far left environmentalists. And, and our government has no idea how to handle that. They're, you know, they're making it seem like it's a reconciliation issue. No, <laughs> go talk to the First Nations people, go talk to the elected chiefs, go talk to young men in the region that are desperate for jobs. And you will find out that, that, that they're not in support of this fringe far-left environmentalist. They're really not. And you know, the sooner our prime minister clues in on that, the sooner that he sends the police in to do their job, get, get, these, get these protesters out of there. I mean, enough is enough. It's time to take a law and order approach. It's time to send in the military, send in the police, get these people off the railways, get our economy moving again. All right, that's my two cents. Okay, one more thing I wanna talk about before we get going. This is, this is kind of exciting. So conservative hopeful Aaron O'Toole, as you know, he's been running a pretty conservative campaign. He has been, you know, saying a lot of great stuff, saying a lot of 
of of of really conservative, making a lot of conservative points. I, I hope I hope he remains this conservative and this committed uh, to doing the right thing. But he announced over the weekend that a conservative government led by Aaron O'Toole would slash funding for CBC's English language television programming and digital pro uh, properties and eventually privatize them. So O'Toole, who's running for leadership of the Conservative Party, announced the policy on Twitter on Friday. So this is Aaron O'Toole's Twitter. He says, actually, let's play a clip. He's got a clip right here. Let's play it. An O'Toole government will modernize and reform the CBC. We will end funding for CBC Digital, and we will cut CBC English TV budget by 50%. Our plan will phase out TV advertising with the goal to fully privatize CBC English TV by the end of our first mandate. We will preserve CBC Radio. It is commercial free and delivers public interest programming from coast to coast. Public interest, but from a left-wing perspective. He doesn't mention that, but I mean, fine. It, you know, it is a, at least the radio is, is sort of serving local markets and it's doing what you kind of imagine a public broadcaster would do. Uh, whereas, you know, the actual CBC News, I mean, it's so redundant. There's so many Canadian delivered news sources, like the program you're watching right now. You know, I don't need government subsidy to do this. Canadians can get their news from a number of ways. We really don't need a uh, far left, you know, distorted vision of the country while also paying for it. Let's uh, let's continue this Aaron O'Toole Act. We will also preserve Radio-Canada, which plays an important role connecting Quebecers and Francophones across Canada in their own language. The world of broadcast media has changed dramatically, but our public broadcaster is stuck in the past. When the CBC was created in the 1930s, it was an early way to connect the vast dominion of Canada. Radio and later TV broadcasts were new, and often the only way to connect the nation and tell our story. Almost a century later, Canadians are connected to the world with the swipe of their finger. They carry their own broadcast studio in their pocket and have unlimited media streaming options 24-7. The Trudeau government increased the CBC budget by over $600 million to expand its digital and TV presence. This expanded CBC digital presence hurt local newspapers and media outlets fighting for declining advertising revenue. The result? Trudeau created a $600 million media bailout fund to repair the damage caused by his CBC expansion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> Trudeau just wants his hand in every pot, every media pot, and it's really of a distorting impact. You can't trust a reporter that gets paid by the government. You just can't. You're, you know that they're not going to deliver a, an honest assessment of the situation because they rely on the government. You're never going to have sort of a libertarian worldview represented because why would they why would they show the libertarian side, which would say the government has absolutely no business being involved in the media? I, I mean, you could even argue it's a conservative position as well. Um, so, so, so the media. Uh, playing field is incredibly biased in Canada. If it wasn't bad enough, Trudeau upped the ante, gave CBC an extra six hundred million, then had to give the newspapers an extra six hundred million to even it out. So good for Aaron O'Toole. This is this is really good stuff. The fact that he is you know running this campaign from a conservative perspective, he is putting the facts out there. I mean, the great thing too about social media is that you can use this to hold him to account. So if he does become leader of the party and then he tries to sort of like back away um, and get scared of his shadow in the way that Andrew Scheer did. At least you have, you know, these kind of videos that you can hold up and say, wait a minute, Aaron O'Toole, you pledged to defund the CBC, let's hold you to it. And honestly, I, I was a little skeptical of Aaron O'Toole at first. I think he's a really nice guy. I think that he has a very impressive record with regards to his military service to Canada. I wasn't really sure how conservative he was because I've never he's never really struck me as a sort of super conservative uh,
brave person that's willing to not 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 only hold conservative convictions, which is sort of easy because they're sort of the the, the natural convictions that you would have, you know, trying to preserve this great country that we have, um, but have the 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 strength and and the character to stand up to a very corrupt establishment, the media, the bureaucracy, uh, you know, the Liberal Party, um, to stand up to them and say, no, no, you you people are wrong. You don't represent most of Canadians. You don't understand how most Canadians feel. This is this is what we're going to do. Um, and having that resolve, that's that's the tough part. And so if 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 An if Aaron O'Toole is successful in winning this leadership race by putting forth these really great conservative positions and platforms, um, you know, I, I, think, I think he would have a lot of support uh, across the country. And if he's willing to, again, continue to push back against the corrupt establishment, I think that would go a long way. All right, guys, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for uh, lending me some of this time on this uh, family day long weekend. Hope you are enjoying the time with your family. Hope you are uh, doing well, uh, despite the fact that, again, our country doesn't really seem to be functioning as a country. We don't have a leader. We don't have a prime minister who knows what to do when a crisis is in front of him. He would much, much rather be off gallivanting. He was supposed to be in Barbados today. Uh, he, he's, he'd much rather be off bowing to despots of Iran, uh, turning a blind eye to actual anti-gay persecution. You know, for all the concern that he has when a conservative won't even march in a pride parade, uh, where is that concern when you're standing up next to a leader that actively persecutes gay people and actually bans it and has laws on the books banning them? Where's, where's his courage then? Oh, right, he doesn't have any. Uh, he's off talking about how much he admires China for being a despicable fascist dictator. Well, that's Canada in 2020. So we have a long way to go, a long way to go. All right, I will leave it at that. Thanks again, guys. Have an awesome day.